The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect, with many teams strutting their stuff. You might now be at a game this year. Either way, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search the Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another edition of the Bird Calls. Joining me right now are frequent contributor to thebirdrights.com, Kevin Barrios, and our editor in chief, Ali Cosell. We should be joined by David Fisher uh, momentarily. Uh, gentlemen, today was the first day of practice for the New Orleans Pelicans. We are roughly just over two weeks away from the start of the regular season, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. Um, and we got to speak to Coach Van Gundy and uh, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson today after practice. And defense was obviously going to be Stan Van Gundy's focus coming out of the gate. And today we got some very resounding confirmation of all of that. Um, Ali, let's start with you and Coach Van Gundy's comments about this three-hour practice that was extensively about – was almost exclusively about defense, basically. Um, what stood out first and foremost from his approach to day one? Ugh, what didn't stand out, right? I mean, everybody, first of all, was so thorough, and we're going to get to that. But I was impressed by everybody's answers, not just Stan Van Gundy today. We also talked to Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, who I thought showed a lot of maturity in how they responded to not only our questions, but on how they view practice and the perspective and all sorts of stuff. But regarding Stan, I loved hearing first and foremost about, even though he didn't get through his entire practice plan, he had legitimately one goal. That was to set a tone, right? He wanted to basically put all his priority into defense, and that's what they did for three hours. He basically taught, what was it, for 30, 40 minutes, according to Zion, exclusively just teaching these guys on where to be position-wise, as Brandon Ingram laid out, with the, where the guards should be, where wings, centers, and, of course, making sure you communicate. But then the, for the final two hours, you know, they did a lot more full-court work to where they actually got to basically practice all these coverages, these defensive coverages. So even though they didn't get into real up-and-down up court action, it sounds like Stan, like I said, focused on exclusively drilling into these guys what he wants to see defensively in almost any scenarios. And the best part, right, guys? I don't know if you listened to it, Kevin, but I know David was there with me. It was the fact that these guys were excited by it. There was no complaints. <laughs> Normally when you ask players in the NBA, 
talk about defense, you know, you get the rolled eyes and stuff, but both B.I. and Zion genuinely sounded excited. So, you know, we wanted to see buy-in and all this other stuff and who's to say if that's truly going to transpire over the years. But this first day was really a home run in my eyes. Hey, Kevin, let's talk about that first to have an almost an hour of just uh, teaching where guys had to be engaged and listening to a coach Van Gundy and his staff were talking about and then doing the four-on-four work. And he says, you know, this wasn't a heavy practice by his standards, certainly. Um, we know what he is known for as a practice, as a, uh, in, in his practice regimens. Um, but how important was it to set that tone from day one to make sure that these guys understand that there can't be any wasted time, that the focus has to be there, that there is as much classroom to this as there is on the court instruction, that this is going to be mental as much as it is physical. Um, that's a really important thing to do with a team as young as the Pelicans are at a number of spots. Yeah, I think it's very important. I mean, like uh, I've always said, I think, you know, they're coming off of some, well, I guess all those guys are pretty new. So they're coming off of a year of, uh, you know, having a substitute teacher where it's pretty lax in there. And now they got, somebody that's focused has a lesson plan and has set goals for all of them, um, which is very important. And, you know, especially considering we've talked about it many times that the, um, this off season is going to be very compressed. So it's very important to hit the ground running and to sort of set those expectations that you want to achieve early on and to have everybody on the same page and knowing what they're working towards. And, you know, I think what, to piggyback off of what Ali was saying, everybody seem seemingly buying in and being excited about defense shows you that these guys are guys that are ready to win in their careers. You know, those guys that came over from the Lakers, you know, they've never tasted success yet. Um, they've had some individual success, but they haven't had team success yet. And I think they're at that point in their career where they're, they're not just looking to drop 20 a game, 25 a game. They're looking to win games. Um, so it's very important that those guys at the top of the roster and especially the young ones are buying in to this whole change in philosophy and identifying that this was our problem. You know, it might've been a short-term problem for them because all these guys are new. Uh, they only were under Gentry for a year, but it's been a long-term problem here and they know that it needs to be addressed and fixed and that's what's going to send them to the next level. So it's very exciting to see that, I mean, you know, it is kind of lip service so far, and it's only been one practice. Um, we'll see how, how it holds and sticks and how much they buy in once they're starting to get really tired and banged up. Um, but it is a great start. The thing that stood out for me the most, and um, it was something that we have been talking about for a number of years, and then last year in particular it became something that um, even J.J. Reddick discussed, was just that this was a team that did not communicate well on the floor. It was a quiet team. It did not have a voice. Um, and Coach Van Gundy himself said it's still a work in progress in getting these guys to communicate. That he's he gave he cut them some slack because they're all learning something new, but it's not to the level that he expects it to be. I think really um, with this short time frame, that communication is probably going to be, if not one, uh, but one A on his list of priorities, because that's going to be so important at the early stage, particularly in the early stages of this season, um, when these guys are getting their, their feet wet with each other on the court. If they don't talk, they won't win. 
Ali? You're absolutely right, David. We've been watching and attending games for about two or three years, but as far as I can remember, the Pelicans have never, slash Hornets, have never been a good talking defensive team. Um, I know that Tyson Chandler did, did some, of course, Chris Paul did, but when you just eliminate those two players, it's, it's, you know, I can only recall maybe Omar Ashik a few times on certain screens and, and really players just yelling, maybe ice, but as far as actually communicating, like on every play, there's, there's a lot of movement, right? There's a lot of players moving on and there's certain ones that are in better position to talk than others, right? If you're chasing around a screen, you're not going to, you don't need to be talking. You've got a job to do. As to where the guy that's sitting a screen or there's somebody else off the ball and weak side, they can be helping, right? Getting others into better position. That's something you just never really heard. And I don't know how many people actually know this um, because you can't hear it obviously on TV or if you don't stay close enough to the actual basketball court, you're not going to know this. But the good teams, when they talk about talking, they do it. And this is something New Orleans has long had a problem with. And I feel like that is easily one of the best things that you can do to change the outlook of a team's defense. The whole purpose or the whole point of getting a, 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 all the talking is to get the team, all five guys in unison on the court, right? I think it was Monty Williams that used to talk about being an amoeba, right? You want to move a certain way, but you got to, every movement has to have purpose and togetherness and without communication, you're never going to have that. You're just flat out not. So I can see why Stan's made it a priority and it was interesting, David, you mentioned how, right, Stan said, yeah, we still got a ways to go, but I did see some improvement. But he basically acknowledged, yeah, it's going to be a work in progress. That's where it sounded like when Brandon Ingram was talking about communication, he was talking from a perspective like, okay, this is the most I've ever talked in my life was, you know, the feeling I got. So you can already just see the differences between last year and this year's group and whatever, you know, Alvin Gentry and Pazdilic under him, the defensive coach, tried to do because it obviously didn't work right if they wanted these players communicating they weren't flat out so it's definitely signals a big change and i think that's going to be one of the major proponents of a possible turnaround defensively for these pelicans kevin are these the guys who can do that can you make a leopard change his stripes <laughs> to mix metaphors um can you make these guys who are not talkers into talkers you know, I think the hardest thing to do is, you know, this is what I've said about Lonzo with him becoming like a, a guy who will attack. I think the hardest thing to do is to change who you are. You know, it's not like you can change mechanics of a shot. Uh, you can change um, things like that. It's that's muscle memory. But changing who you are at your core and your personality is the hardest thing to change. The good thing is that a lot of these guys are really young. And a guy, and I think that getting Zion in his second year, because you got to think that Zion and Bi are the guys you want to be the leaders on this team, um, and Bi is still young as well, um, but mainly Zion because he's going to be playing in the post a lot. He's going to be a little bit of your anchor on defense for for a lot of the time that he's on the court. Um, you know, he's a guy that's been a dynamic personality. He's a guy that's boisterous and interviews and those sort of things and he's been a youtube sensation for so long he's like a celebrity but he hasn't had that you know on-court communication kind of thing but you get him young enough where you can you know work with him and mold him into that kind of player which is great um you know i think that's part of the problem that we've had before 
where we've had Drew Holiday and we've had Anthony Davis, guys that just weren't that kind of personality. They led by example, but they didn't lead in terms of, of vocals, you know, and, um, it, and we didn't have a staff here that empowered them in that way and motivated them in that way and worked with them one-on-one in that way. But now we have, you know, like Teresa Witherspoon, we have all these coaches here that are going to be working with these young guys and getting him up, up to speed on that, especially when it's trickling down from the head coach, Stan Van Gundy. So I think even if these guys aren't natural talkers on the court, I think they're young enough and I think their personalities outside of basketball are strong enough that, you know, there's a lot of hope there that they're going to grow in that area. And I, you know, I, I believe in it because it's going to be a mandate from the top. Ali. I can hear it. First of all, I hear you clicking, so stop that. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep I'm trying to keep fish up to you know up up to date here on what's going on. So the Wayne jumps in, he'll know what's going on. Sorry, <laughs> I will mute myself next time. My bad. <laughs> but there was something that Zion Williamson talked about today as well, just that he was um, interested in being more talkative. That you know, last season being a rookie, being in the position of not playing uh, so many games it made it difficult for him to exert his voice in that void um, that the Pelicans had. Certainly that was a big part of, of his messaging today mm-hmm. was talking about stepping up into that same with Brandon Ingram. Um, if they are going to be communicators, um, you know, Steven Adams certainly has been a guy who's been a captain of a defense essentially. And then he's a communicator. It, it, it basically, it, it flows into the backcourt of the starting group. Lonzo and Eric Bledsoe and how they work at the top. Um, like Kevin said, it's hard to change people's personalities. We know Bledsoe's an all-NBA defender. We know the talent that Lonzo has. Do you have enough at the guard position, even those backups, with Kira Lewis Jr., with uh, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, with J.J. Redick, who we know knows the system is going to communicate? And I expect the same art on the, on the perimeter. Um, but do you have you, it seems as that there's still a lot of guys who it's going to be uh, some teeth pulling to get them to be vocal. Oh, there's no doubt, because it's more than just saying words on the court. It is uh, recognizing making good reads, but recognizing what's happening around you. And then, of course, having the confidence in knowing what you see and saying the right things. Because, you know, people can talk, but they may not be saying exactly what they need. And the defense is still going to falter. Right. If you're telling them your teammate to be in a certain position and then you're wrong. Well, that's just as bad, maybe if not worse and not saying anything to begin with. So yeah, David, there's a lot more to it than just actually physically or doing that physical act of saying what you think needs to be said in a moment to help a team defensively. So I think there's going to be definitely growing pains with this throughout the season, but you're going to have to rely of course on the few veterans that the team does have. So I know that Steven Adams is not known as the biggest talker, but I have a feeling that he's probably going to become one under Stan Van Gundy um, because of just looking at the talent around him. Eric Bledsoe is another guy that's never, you know, I've never noticed really be particularly talkative on the court either. So, yeah, for all these guys, I feel like this is going to be a brand new novel concept in basically just executing what Stan Van Gundy's wishes are. And one of them, of course, is talking probably on every possession, on every you know, movement that's happening by your opponent out there. So I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but I'll tell you one thing. As you mentioned, I love Zion talking about that and just in general talking about 
he's a basketball player, right? That he has to do things outside of his comfort zone. And for a rookie, well, I should say just for 24 games under his belt as a rookie, for him to say that, I noticed a big difference in him just from last year because there was an accountability in his words today by talking about, I got to encourage my teammates, but I've got to also hold everybody accountable. And I hope and I expect for my teammates to do the same, right? And he kept on talking about a winner's mentality. Nobody likes to lose. So the message, without a doubt, has been understood by Zion. I feel like by Brandon Ingram, too, when they were talking about executing stands, defensive philosophies, as well as just the communication on the court. So that gives uh, you hope. Basically, what I'm saying is it gives you hope, right? I don't know how you guys took it, but, hey, there's a chance to possibly build something really good here. To quote our vice president-elect, there's a different – well, to paraphrase – the difference between uh, talking and speaking, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing is that I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment for these guys is that it's like you said, it's not just talking. It's not just saying words out there. It's communication is a process and it's subtle at times and it's anticipatory and all those things on the basketball court. So it's not just simply saying pick. It's not simply saying my guy. You know, there's there are more things to that. And I think that that's the nuance of this that will take time. But the initial part, getting them to talk to each other on the floor and not be the quietest team that people have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, that alone is just, you know, I think a lot of what we saw today, the culture shift is what people are noticing and the feeling and the vibe that we got from fans in their response to what what the team was saying, what the players were saying. Um, I thought was really interesting. Kevin, that cultural shift, that's the thing we've talked about for a long time of having an identity mm-hmm. for this franchise. Um, that starts here. That starts with this. Uh, and But it's still, like you said, it's a work in progress. How much time is a reasonable amount of time in this season, when, when Van Gundy has said there will be no excuses, we need to be ready to compete anytime, any place, any conditions. How much leeway do you give from today into the season? And what are you looking for in particular when we do get to those two preseason games? Um, when you see guys on the court, because we're going to see a lot of, you know, in two games, we're going to see a ton of different combinations. What are you going to be looking for? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think. One thing to add to what you were saying before we got to this point is that mm-hmm. having like Bledsoe, Lonzo, and Steven Adams in your starting five, I think those are three very good high IQ basketball players on the defensive end. So I think that's going to help in terms of not just talking, but speaking, uh, you know, so I think that'll help out a lot. But when it comes to expectations, you know, um, it's tough because like we said, it's so compressed and you're only going to get those two games. I mean, I think realistically you're going to see improvements defensively early on, but you're not going to really see this team click until probably halfway through the season to what they can be defensively because it is going to take so much time for not only these guys to learn the system, to, to, pick up on cues and know how to communicate, but also just to get a feel for each other because it's going to be such a new unit and it's going to also be new guys and new positions. Cause even like the guys that are coming back, you know, Zion missed a ton of time last year. So it's going to be integrating him. All of these guys are going to be being used differently 
than they were last season. Um, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take some time for them to figure it out. On the um, to answer your question about the first two games, uh, what I'm look I mean, the first two preseason games, what I'll be looking for the most is you know how, how did how have we fixed rebounding? How have we fixed boxing out from the bigs? And I want to see Zion's awareness when he's playing, especially when he's playing the five defensively, um, his positioning and how he covers uh, pick and rolls and things like that to see how much of that stuff is being picked up early on because those are the keys, you know, improving rebounding for sure is something that's going to drastically uh, enhance this team's winning percentage because we knew that that was a huge problem last season. Um, And then, you know, Zion was very lost in playing big man defense. So how he covers a pick and roll, and his awareness in that area will be very important. And then it's going to be interesting to see um, how, how, you know, how much of a step forward Brandon Ingram has made defensively as well, because, you know, he was a little bit of a liability when guarding threes and seeing what they're going to do. You know, you hear Griff talk about him being a two, are they going to hide him on twos is like hiding on him on two an actual thing. I mean, can a two, beat him off the dribble with dribble moves and speed because we know Ingram's not super quick. Um, he's very smooth, but he's not fast. Um, so all of those things are interesting or things that I'm going to be interested in watching. And then also I think one of the biggest things of this season is how Lonzo is used on both ends of the floor. Um, seeing what, what the plan is for him. That's something that I'm very interested in because, you know, he's, He's the probably the biggest question mark based off of the comments that we've heard from um, Stan Van Gundy on that low post podcast. And since he's come in here as well um, and seeing how he adjusts to new roles and new usages um, and just see how he grows, because, you know, I think he's a very good basketball player. But let's see what his future entails and how that's going to relate for this team. And will he be a part of this team or will he be moved on because they need, you know, something else no no absolutely um i understand that point very well fish now that you've joined us and welcome um (laughs) here's what i want to ask you just to start um last year in the preseason pelicans go five and oh everybody's wild because they got to see the dunks and pelicans scored plenty of points and but all those games were really tight games they showed all of the things that we would see during the season and that would come back to bite them in the ass. The lack of rebounding, the easy penetration by guards, the turnovers, all of that stuff was there. I don't care if this Pelican scored 50 points a game in, the pre- in these two preseason games. If we see, start to see the building blocks of the toughness, the intelligence, all those things that, cu- that are required to be a winning team, do you think that this roster possesses enough of that grit, that, that mindset, right now as presently constructed and um how long do you think it takes as i just asked kevin do do you think this is a process that we will see the fruits of this season you've you've made your point that you think that the the franchise is looking further down the road Mm -hmm. but there has to be some real indentation on that end of the floor for this franchise for people to believe both internally and externally that this is going forward the key is, and Kevin touched on it a little bit um, in the end of his answer there, the key is for me 
that you need to see your two star players buying in 100% defensively. That's what I need to see. The biggest thing that jumped out at me early on um, last preseason, and it continued once the t- once he had his knee surgery and then came back with Zion, was the complete absence of any kind of commitment to securing defensive rebounds. The system was built and planned upon trying to get him out and in transition for highlights. Is is how it, it is how it came off to me. A lot of his lack of defensive rebounding was by design, and I think that's something we're going to be able to see and make pretty good judgments on, just in terms of what he's trying to do, not even what what the numbers say or anything like that in terms of how well the team is rebounding the ball. But where is Zion on the floor defensively when a shot goes up? What is his what is his prime directive once the shot goes up? Because when under Alvin Gentry, it was let everybody else try to rebound, you try to leak out. There was a lot of leaking out. And that's something that we're going to be able to see right away. I feel like you're going to see is is he making it a point to go crash the glass? And that's something that we touched on it initially when um, Stephen Adams was um, traded for on the team. One of the big things that he did when he was in Oklahoma City when Russell Westbrook was there was he was a box out machine, but actually opening the door so that Russell Westbrook could do grab and go, getting his own rebound and eliminating the need for an outlet pass. And I think when they're talking about the slashing role for Zion offensively, the easiest way to get that to happen is for it to be in the half is is to be in the open court, not in the half court. So the biggest things that I'm looking for defensively are Zion crashing the glass defensively. And then Brandon Ingram giving a damn on defense, like And maybe it was just my opinion, but I felt like Brandon Ingram was saving himself for offense a lot last season. And he, and we need to see at this point him really locking in on defense. I know he had a, he had a great quote um, and I don't remember all of it, but the gist of it was when he was getting up to getting his max extension, he saw all these other players getting big contracts that were in his draft class or the draft class previous to him. And he said, well, let's roll out the ball and play one-on-one right now to 15. And I'm not going to let him score. And there was some colorful language in the midst of that, but that's what I want to see. I want to see Brandon Ingram. And he had a great quote today that, that you kind of got him into where, you know, all players are supposed to be two-way players. This is Mm -hmm. basketball. We play offense and defense here. Um, I need to see that from him. And I my hope is is that Stan Van Gundy can get those two players to the point where you can just see and notice the buy-in defensively. Because if your star players are in, if if they're a hundred percent in and bought in defensively, I think it's a lot easier for Stan Van Gundy to get on role player X's ass you know, to put forth the effort because you see your two star players out there doing it. And honestly, that's not something we, we saw in the Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis Pelicans era. Mm -mm. You didn't. And, and, and that's, 
when Stan Van Gundy's talking about how they're going to build the culture, et cetera, and it's not something that they're going to talk about. It's something that they're going to be about. It's something that happens. It's not something that you game plan. How that's going to happen is your two star players say, no, we defend here. And I'm, and, and as leaders, it's our jobs to do it. That's what I'm looking for. Those two guys to, to be plus defenders. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. Like, I don't even know what kind of rebounder Zion Williamson is. Is he a go-get-it rebounder? Is he a positional rebounder? I don't think he knows yet because he's never had to be any type of rebounder other than a go-get-it rebounder. And I think that that's something that a guy like Adams can help him with, uh, hopefully with a Jackson Hayes as well, is that you're trying to teach these guys that rebounding is an art and a science as well. It is not just a physical thing. The mentality mm-hmm. of boxing out is a mental is it's yes, that requires a certain amount of effort that no one can duplicate. But the other parts, like I just a quick aside is just, I will not forget watching Dennis Rodman describe how he learned all of the angles that people shot from and how the ball bounced on every mm-hmm. part of the rim. And that dedication to that part of the craft. I don't know if Zion will ever be that. That's Dennis Rodman is the unusual case, of course. But I would like to see that. That to me is the step for greatness, is that you start applying the science to your art. Um, and that's what Ingram has to do. And that's what Zion has to do. For, for Ingram, I also wondered a lot last season if the fact that he really was fatigued coming in. It just, you could see... Physically, he was not ready to go at the beginning of the season because of his offseason. And now he feels, you can see that there's a little more body confidence in him. Lonzo was the same. I think Zion uh, uh, showed that today as well in his comments that that body confidence is hopefully translates to more intensity on the defensive end. Anybody want to respond to that? All right, then. We move on. Um, (laughs) Let's let's focus well, on Brandon David. Let me let me real quick bring this up because um, it, it, it coincides with what both you and Fish said. I want to mm-hmm. read that quote by Ingram because I want people to understand that Bi is not only dedicating himself, but he sees that he can be a really good two way player, even though he thinks that you know that whole freaking uh, description is used way too much. So I think we use the two way player thing a little bit too much. He said that's how the game of basketball is supposed to be played. You're supposed to be good on the defensive end, especially if you're not good on the offensive end. The gift that I have, though, is that I'm talented on the offensive end and the defensive end. But the defensive end takes a little more effort. That's all it is, the effort. So it goes kind of to what both of you guys were just describing, Fish, about not seeing enough effort. And, David, you basically describing as to why, and I agree with you. I think when we saw B.I. start last year, he kind of came out like gangbusters, but he didn't have the stamina, and his body broke down, remember? Last two months, he was playing through a lot of knee pain or knee issues, I should say. So you, you could just tell he didn't have the same rise on his jumper. He was, the mobility wasn't there. So it, it was clearly obvious from a physical standpoint. He just couldn't go. But I completely agree with Fish, too. It, it was just way too obvious that he was just taking breaks defensively, where he give you that first initial effort that his man's got the ball and either he gets blown by or there's a cut something and he just never reacted right he was getting beat badly more so than most of the other pelicans on the court oftentimes so that's a problem but i have a feeling that he knows that 
and we heard that from his comment, right? Leaving the bubble, saying to one of the assistant coaches that, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to make me a better defender because I'm not missing the playoffs again. So I felt like we heard a continuation of that feeling in that moment for him today. So I think it does inspire hope, just like we've kind of talked about with Zion as well, that they understand that you have to basically walk the walk on everything you do on a basketball court. So for me, like I said, that screams buy-in. So if you've got the players committing themselves on both ends of the court, then Stan Van Gunny's going to get, obviously, their full undivided attention. And we should potentially start seeing some results. And I think almost right away, I think we're going to see glimpses of where we're going to see good basketball for three, four, five minutes, not necessarily for the whole 48 minutes yet. That's probably going to take, what, at least a month. Whatever you guys want to guess, Kevin kind of at least a month, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're going to see stretches, right? Where I think the defense is legitimately going to be better as to where last year, when people were talking about the defense is playing really well during a stretch, all it was was to me was the opponent was just missing shots, right? Remember there was like a week's worth where Pelicans held teams to around a hundred or maybe under it once or twice, and and people got carried away with the defense getting better. Now I never saw it, but I think we will this year. Uncharacteristically. It was like they were way below average all of a sudden with the Pelicans. I think, yeah. So it, it was an anomaly. It wasn't considered great defense. People were missing open shots against the Pelicans. Yes. That was the thing. Like you could see that the shots were good shots. They just didn't go down. Um, so let's move on. I, w- I wanted to focus on one thing that we saw as both Zion and Ingram, that, that word accountability. They both talked about it a lot, not only, like you said, not only for themselves, but for the rest of their teammates. But they both projected to me the, the, the air of they want to be. And, and we also talked about the fact that they were the first two paired up with Coach Van Gundy on day one, mm-hmm. that the team is determined. These are the guys. These are the guys. And they have to do it. They must be the, the, the building blocks of this franchise going forward. We're investing our capital and building around these two men and they are they can't afford to be kids they can't afford to be young but i was impressed with the way they handled it kevin when you see these guys when you see a 20 year old and you see a 24 year old coming in and and now looking ready to assert their imprint on this franchise how key is that especially when you look at the other questions you do have around this roster as to who's going to go and who's going to stay, these guys have to be the ones to lead that. Yeah, I mean, that is the difference between being a good stats, bad team player and a great player, you know. Um, So it's great to see that because those are the two guys you definitely want to build this team around. They're the guys that you have the most control over their future. Now, after Ingram signed that contract um, and, you know, you have – uh, Zion still entering the second year of his rookie contract to so basically control his career for about six years. Um, so, you know, and, you know, Ingram is now an all-star and Zion, you know, if he stays healthy, projects to be one of those very soon. Um, so, you know, if they do take on that accountability and that leadership, then that will take this franchise to the next level. I mean, Fish has been saying this, um, all off season that if those two guys are who we think they are, this should be a playoff team because you have two foundational pieces already. And then 
everything else just falls in line after that. And those two guys should be enough to get you to the playoffs. And then you look at the roster and you have, you know, Adams and Bledsoe and JJ Redick. You have other guys that are also high caliber players that, you know, if those guys are who we are, we should definitely be in the mix for the playoffs for sure. And for the foreseeable future, you know? Yeah. Fish is, I don't think that they, that somebody we're past the stage in most teams. There are very few players who get to say, this is my team. That that's, that is, we, we've, we've seen that argument too many times. I think in the NBA and, and whose team it is. And there are very few players who can walk into a locker room and say, this is my team. But there certainly seems to be a synergy between Zion and Brandon Ingram mentally that they are on the same page. And I don't think it was scripted today. It seemed authentic. Did it come across as authentic to you? And does it seem generally like maturity or guys being aspirational or a bit of both? Um, They do seem in sync. Um, I think that part of that is messaging. Um, there were just, there were some touchstone words and things like that, that I heard from both Ingram and Zion, where I think they're just, they are approaching this as professionals. And there's, there's something to be said about how the front office to the coaching staff and everything is filtering down how they want to approach this in a general overarching sense. Um, Zion mentioned, you know, that's being a profession, you know, being a professional multiple times today in his um, in his press availability. And I think. The, the I, I believe from how the front office is kind of projecting things and then how Brandon Ingram and Zion are speaking and how. Stan Van Gundy spoke about the team even before he got here, you know, even before he got here, we keep on going back to that um, appearance on the, on the low post with, with Zach Lowe. But even before he got here, it was obvious to him from the outside that those are your, you know, those are your tent poles for the franchise. And when they are talking about accountability, one, I think it's, something that Stan Van Gundy is preaching to them. And I mean, we can't forget Stan Van Gundy comes essentially at the NBA level from the Pat Riley school. I mean, he was at Miami for quite some time before as an assistant before he got the head, before he got the head job for a little bit. And I think what you're seeing is between him and David Griffin as well, and flowing down from the head coach and from the rest of the front office is we're going to have accountability. And that means first and foremost, that your two stars are accountable. And I think a lot of that, we're going to hear stories and things like that as the season goes on about how Stan Van Gundy himself is getting on their asses and you've heard multiple times since Stan Van Gundy was hired, Zion Williamson talking about how Stan Van Gundy's old school and it's like his father-in-law who's also old school. Zion Williamson sounds like a guy who wants to be coached right now. Um, and he certainly, went... Just, and he, certainly went to, he went to Duke with Mike Krzyzewski, who, if people don't know how profane Mike Krzyzewski is, like, yo, Mike Krzyzewski can curse with the best of them. Please let believe me. 
Yeah. And I mean, Coach K, I mean, you're talking about somebody who comes from the Bobby Knight school, um, coached at Army for a while. I mean, you're there's there's a certain level of, you know, just hard assness to that. And I think maybe Zion, that's that's something that Zion looks to. I mean, the father figure he has in his life, he's referred to multiple times as having that kind of personality. And then Stan Van Gundy's, you know, persona coming in, his reputation coming in is the same. And Zion didn't go to Kentucky. He didn't go, you know, to one of these other um, college schools where it's more player friendly. Um, Coach K probably is the least player friendly um, coach at a, at one of these marquee schools between him and Tom Izzo. So, I mean, he's, he's looking for that. And I think that's something that the Pelicans believe at this point that he's going to respond to. And, Brandon Ingram as well, also a product from Duke. So, you're there's a lot of there's a lot of things to like about that, and I I expect that what we're going to hear throughout the season is when things go poorly, um, Stan Van Gundy will take the blame, but then you'll have a press availability with Zion or Brandon Ingram, and they will also try to take the blame. Um, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, where does the buck stop? Then the coach is going to be like, the buck stops with me. And the and the two-star players are going to be like, look, when we don't play well as a team, when we come out flat or we don't execute or something like that, that's on us first. And there was a little bit of that in with, you know, the previous coaching staff, but not nearly to the degree that I think we're going to see it. And a lot of the accountability that they're that they're going to push downhill onto Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson is not just about this year. It's about preparing them to be long-term cornerstones of this franchise and to build the culture, but in in a real way, not just trying to manifest it magically. They they understand it's going to take time. I and do I, think I, that oh, no, no, that that was that was a better. I was going to say I do. I also do think that there will be times when Van Gundy names names, and that was something that Ollie and I um, used to deal with with Alvin a lot. Was that he would name names off the record, <laughs> but would never name names <laughs> after a game. And I think that sometimes you have to name names. You can say Brandon did not play his best tonight. We need more out of him. Zion did not rebound enough tonight. We need more out of him. And it doesn't have to be demeaning, but it's public enough to let the player know and to let his teammates know that none of us are above it. And I think that that's something that we will see. It will never be in the sense to demean a player. That's not Van Gundy's way, but he will say for the guys that he expects the leadership to come from when they fail, I think we will hear it, but let's move on to something a little happier. So Ali, they did announce today, Zion said it himself, no restrictions. His fitness mm-hmm. test, he comes in and he and Nikhil Alexander-Walker surpassed their goals by more than anybody else on the roster. You could see and feel the collective hallelujah from the people of New Orleans and the Pelicans fans from throughout the world. How did you feel hearing no restrictions, seeing Zion's face while he said no restrictions, and then hearing from Van Gundy? prior to that, talking about that fitness test. 
All right, listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Take a look in the mirror. I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Have you ever pulled your nose hair out with your fingers? Ouch, that might hurt worse than nicking your balls. Yes, you will get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Thanks, Manscaped, for keeping our pubes trimmed and hairs in our holes looking nice. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. What are you waiting for? Go whack those weeds. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff. You might now be at a game this year. Either way, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. <laughs> yeah, big sigh of relief is the easiest way to put it. We had seen in the past pictures or hope that he was going to come into um, a season or, or games, I should say, just like in a bubble that he was physically from a standpoint, physically a hundred percent there. And we have, it's never transpired. It's never worked out for one reason or another, but this time, you know, we saw, you know, I saw something on Instagram where he was posing with uh, somebody that washed his car, I believe a Ford truck or something. And then a week later, the Pelicans um, last week, revealed you know a couple pictures of the way zion looked uh, and, and physically he does he looks slimmer to the naked eye more toned um His and then to, more shaped yes and then to, to, to basically get the news both from the coach and himself right you can hear the joy in zion's voice and of course with stan just mentioning hey he passes conditioning test easily you know they basically had him run a three-minute run on the court. And he said that everybody passed, but as you mentioned, David, both Zion and Keel blew their benchmarks from last year away more so than any other player. So that's, that's all we've always hoped for, right? Ever since he, he put on a Pelicans uniform back in summer league where he looked grossly um, not in basketball shape. And then we kind of saw a little bit um, again at the start of the season, right? He didn't come into last season as trim as, you know, we all thought probably he would, but again, we wrote it off. Hey, he'll get in shape during the season or, or what, whatever. But of course the injury happened in the bubble, same thing. So now you just have to hope that, you know, no injury crops up that he can maintain this weight. but listening to this, a man talk, you truly get the impression that he's in a much different place psychologically, right? He referred to last year as being, a lot of pressures. This is such a learning um, curve for him. And you, you saw it with the way he took care of himself, with the way he acted on the court, right? He was kind of a quiet guy who basically waited for something to come to him, and especially defensively, right? He never seemed to figure out that end. But there's such a much different tone from him this year. Um, and, and last year wasn't there even in the interviews, right, David? We talked to him. 
came mm-hmm. across as bashful, almost, you know, shy, not sure how to react to certain questions, right? He would smile and look over at Matt or another PR department person I remember. And but today, nothing like nothing of the sort. I thought all of his answers were concise. Uh, they all had meaning. So that maturity alone combined with the body and now him passing this test, I truly think that he's going to be in position to take some kind of a leap this year, right? So for us, I think it has to come on the rebounding and the defensive side. There's not much more offense he's going to be need needing to put up there playing alongside Brandon and these other guys. But I feel like there's a jump potentially there, and it, it speaks volumes to that by what we've seen so far, right? So – it's you know I, I I'm ecstatic. I just hope that knock on wood that these guys can avoid the injury because it sounds like there's a true commitment coming from these two young cornerstones that you hope that they'll be able to you know reap the benefits of right in that commitment and all the energies they put in. So yeah, I mean this feels like something special going on. Kevin, we could really see um, today in Zion's face and again in his comments how frustrating last year was for him to not be able to play, to have to be restricted to those three and four minute bursts, which he really went into detail um, today, just expressing just how much that never let him get into any kind of rhythm. I want you to talk about that, but also I was really impressed to hear some comments by Nikhil Alexander Walker, not today, but previously. And I want to get your thoughts on this where he said, he was, he, I mean, it, I think it takes some maturity to go to Stan Van Gundy and say, I'm not really a point guard. I'm a two. And I think I can help this team better as a two. But I want to be also be able to contribute as a one. For somebody that we have discussed and picked apart, like Nikhil, for every step forward and every step backward, I think that is an important level for him to realize, at least to be able to have that level of where I could go to the coaching staff tell them what I think and not be afraid to do it, but also feel confident in who I am as a basketball player. Yeah. I mean, I think that's incredible. I mean, you, we looked at this, I mean, you could look at last year's draft class and say it, it was very uninspiring. Um, you know, obviously Zion had his great moments, but we only got 20 plus games of him. Um, so it was a letdown on that sense. So having him in shape and ready and not having to deal with those restrictions and, uh, having him with this kind of motivation and focusing on defense and seemingly happy about that. That's great. That's something to be excited about. And I think we all felt like this is going to be a make or break year for um, Jackson Hayes and how he responds to Stan Van Gundy. But, you know, we all really like Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, but we let, so we let him slide a little bit for some of the same issues that Jackson Hayes had Um even though we see more promise out of him as it is, I think, um, I mean, I'm not trying to speak for you guys, but just in the conversations we've had. Um, so it is very promising to see a young guy. I mean, I know he's a little bit older because he was an older, I mean, was he a sophomore when he came out? Right. So right. Um, he, he um, taking that approach, acknowledging the flaws in his game, and wanting to work on them and, and identifying that, you know, Hey, I'm kind of miscast. I want to be able to help in this role, but really I want to play this other role. And, and especially when you're looking at the roster and you got to figure that Lonzo ball is going to be playing the two, you know, in namesake, at least uh, in the starting lineup. Um, we'll see how that's works out and how he's actually used. But 
with Bledsoe being the size he is, you know, you kind of identify Lonzo as, as the two guard and that, and the, what we assume is going to be the starting lineup. And then there's JJ Redick, the sharp shooting veteran leader who is from, is like who championed for the coach to come here is the next guy in line. And then you still have a guy like Josh Hart who can play the two. So there's a lot of log jam sort of in that position and that's the position he wants to play. And he doesn't, it shows that he's not really caring about being given minutes. He wants to be able to earn those minutes and help the team the best way he can, even if he has to maybe take a step back this year and playing time. Although, I mean, he didn't really get a lot of playing time last year. Um, But, you know, by playing, by saying I'm the one opens up more opportunity for playing time just because we're thinner at, in that ball handler position. Um, But, you know, and also the idea that he passed the, his, his physical test with flying colors um, is great news because if there was, he's a very crafty player with the ball, but he, he was not very athletic. So if he's making leaps in that area, combine that with his craftiness and this sort of renewed focus and, uh, you know, set steps for him to achieve, which we know Stan Van Gundy's going to lay out for him because he's very detail oriented, very plan oriented for every player. Um, that you know, you got to feel good about the progression that Nikhil can make this year, even if he doesn't get a lot of minutes. I think when he does get minutes, you're going to see a lot of growth out of him because of his mentality and his work on the physical end, and because of the the coaching staff, you know, really understanding the the positives and negatives and then the strengths and weaknesses of a player and creating a system that benefits them and using them in a way that will benefit the team. Um, you know, having that master plan um, laid out instead of like a free flow, you know, read and react offense, um, but more defined roles is really going to help him take the next step. And as a big fan of that pick, um, it's very refreshing to see. If Nikhil continues to grow too, because he may not be done growing, he certainly right. looks like he's a little bit taller than last year he could end up being a swing man too, playing two and three spots which would certainly be something that would open up playing time for him because that's something that the pelicans are kind of thin at yeah um, i mean but, didn't they even say like that they plan on playing him in three guard lineups with bledsoe and and monza ball correct um which you know would be very good for him and especially if he's increased in size because then you have Lonzo and then like six five six six ish uh Nikhil. so that would be uh a very good thing for us as well. So that was day one of practice and we'll be back at it tomorrow. And Ali and I'll be listening to, you know, checking in on the post-practice interviews there as well. But before we get into our listener follower questions there, that we have to touch on the biggest news in the division and, and in the NBA last week as well, the trade of John Wall from Washington to Houston and in return, Russell Westbrook and a first round pick go to Washington. Um, Obviously, Houston is a division rival. Uh, There's still a lot going on with James Harden, who did not show up for practice and has, as Ali pointed out on social media today, made some very familiar sounding comments. Um, Well, the organization made some very familiar sounding comments in regards to James Harden's behavior as of late. Um, Do do any of you guys think that uh, I'll go around quick. We we'll start with fish. Do you think this makes mm-hmm. the Rockets better or worse as a team this year, or is it no big deal to you? 
Um, and then do you think Harden makes it through the whole season in Houston? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. 
Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Um, if John Wall is healthy, I think that John Wall is probably a better fit with James Harden, but that's only going to be if Houston gets to a situation where they're not going to run the completely Harden-centric offense all the time so that Harden gets his numbers. Um, and I think if you believed that moving Harden off the ball would allow him maybe to expend a little bit more energy on the defensive end, um, then it would improve the Rockets. However, everything that I'm seeing and reading about Houston is that Harden is not bought in. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, he's out at some party and then he's in Las Vegas and he's just getting into Houston and he's not through the COVID protocols yet. So he's not present for practice on time. None of that sounds like a guy that wants to be there. Um, And I mean, is he going to, is he going to buy in and play? Because honestly, I feel like Houston actually has as good, if not a better roster than they did last season. Um, And especially for the regular season, because last year, you know, right around the trade deadline, when they made the move for Robert Covington and they traded away Capella, they pretty much went to, we want to build for this team specifically for the playoffs and how we're going to match up and be difficult for other teams because we're not going to play with anybody over six foot eight on the floor. <coughs> and now they're building uh, what appears to be a more conventional lineup um Christian Wood who we all love here um he's i mean he's going to be a great fit a, a, as a dive role man with either Wall or um Harden in the pick and roll he can space the floor he can rebound um not necessarily the the greatest defender um and defense is going to be a problem with Houston but if you have Harden bought in they're, they're in a situation that they're, they should be so good on offense that it really doesn't matter a whole lot. What they Wall do was a really good play. defender when he was healthy. Wall was yes. a very good defender. A healthy Wall is a very good defender, and a healthy Wall fits a lot better than a Russell Westbrook does. So, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of, all of it is just does hard buy in, and I don't think he does. Kevin, better, worse, indifferent. And do you think Harden makes it the whole year? I I don't think Harden makes it the whole year. Um, so that means that they're worse. Uh, but I, I'm a huge John Wall fan. Like, I always really loved him. And I think that it's, you know, it, but this all, like Fish said, obviously depends on health. The guy's coming off an Achilles tear, and he's a guy whose game is predicated on his speed. Um, so if he doesn't have that speed and that burst, you know, how effective is he? Um, And, but one thing about John Wall, he's a very good pick and roll player. He also is very good at creating corner, open corner threes. Um, That's like one of his specialties. So, you know, I know the system's going to be different 
you know, I know it's not going to be that Harden based system that that they've been running because that's why they brought in Steven Silas and that's why they brought in Will Weaver, offensive architects to create a new system, bringing more of what they did with Luca in uh, Dallas to uh, Houston. Um, so I, I think it'll be a different system, but it all depends on Harden buying in, and I do believe that he's totally checked out. Um, and is not very interested in being there. Um, will they move him? You know, he doesn't really have control over that. He can be a malcontent and not play hard and uh, do those kind of things. But, you know, if it's not right for the organization to make a move, they may not make a move. But I do think that at by the trade deadline, he will be gone. So, therefore, Houston will be a worse team this year. Um, they'll definitely be... I think if John Wall is healthy and they, the return that they get for Harden is okay, I think they could rebound pretty quickly because I do think John Wall is very good. I think Christian Wall, I mean Christian Wood is very good. They have some other pieces there that are nice, and then obviously you'll get some other players in from um, from a Harden trade and probably picks uh, because they're pretty pick empty and that from all the other trades that they've made. Um, but I think this year it could kind of be really a train wreck. And I do hope that they have some patience with Silas and that staff because, you know, I feel sorry for those guys. They came over there thinking they're going to be working with an MVP caliber player. Um, and the whole thing just kind of blew up in their faces. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a tough year for, for those guys. And I hope everybody does a turn on them very quickly. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it all really hinges on John Wall's health, but I also just think that Harden is done. Ollie, it's so weird. Harden turned down reportedly a deal that would have sent him to Golden State because he didn't think they would win because Clay Thompson wasn't there. But it was going to be trading Harden for Wiggins, and I don't understand that. There aren't a lot of destinations for James Harden that he could possibly get to that could yield the kind of player return that the Rockets would want. I mean, it's it's really down. If he's turned down Golden State, it's basically Philly at this point. I would think it's. I mean, I don't see a lot of other places that could have that would that are winners or have a chance to win that would absorb him at this stage. I know Preston, and I have to call him out for this because he's not here. Preston <laughs> dared float the idea of James Harden coming to New Orleans, and we all smited him mightily for that. Um, but I, I don't see Harden. I, I, I don't see him leaving this year just because, like with the Anthony Davis situation, his value is highest at the, in the offseason when you know who has lottery picks and where those picks are. So I, even if he's not content, I think the Rockets and um, Tillman Fertitta are going to try to maintain their value because I think Fertitta wants to sell the team, and I think Harden's value – if he gives him up early, it sinks the value of the team by a couple of hundred million dollars. Ali, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the Rockets want to hang on to James Harden. And, you know, with, with what transpired last year at the start of this, before the start of the season with the whole China debacle to where they lost a lot of sponsors and excess profit, not just the NBA, but Houston Rockets in particular took a beating. Um, both financially and uh, from a, you know, just a fan perspective point. And so suddenly you've, you know, you change ownership or excuse me, you change 
the uh, ownership changed both the front office and the head coaching, actually the coaching staff. And the only thing that you have in common, kind of the glue, is James Harden. You know, you look at this roster. It's an old roster. P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon. Now you bring on DeMarcus Cousins. John Walls, past 30, right? Um, I don't know who else they've got exactly. Damari Carroll. But there's very few guys that are 26 or younger. So, yet, if, if James Harden walks out that door and you're just replacing him with a Wiggins or maybe, say, a Hall from the Nets, which is going to be really, up, you know, role players in essence, right? Levert could be something, but in essence, they would be role players. You're falling off the map in the West, so they have to cling on to him. But it sounds like Harden doesn't want to be there for sure. And that's why I tweeted that. When you have your coach talking about go talk to the player on something controversial – that's a dumpster fire. We saw it here. Anthony Davis, public trade request. Then Alvin's still getting all those questions regarding this. Why, why does AD want to play? Whatever it was. And Alvin got just so sick and tired of it, uh, especially off the camera, but on camera even. Right. And that, that led to some of the most famous quotes during his entire tenure. But in essence, yeah, it signals a, a massive disjointedness. So I honestly, at the end of the day, don't see how the, the Rockets are going to win um, and get in the playoffs with or without Harden, personally. I think there's too many individual, um, you know, emotions, perspectives going on here. P.J. Tucker, we've heard, wants a bigger role. You've got Cousins who's trying to prove that he still belongs and deserves a legitimate NBA contract. How that's going to mesh with a guy like John Wall, who has not played in a basketball game in almost exactly two years, and as Kevin mentioned, he relies on speed, but he's on the wrong side of 30. And you've got to be not just in good shape. You've got to be in incredible shape, basketball shape. And he hasn't played a game in two years. So I feel like he's going to be trying to prove himself, work himself in. I do not see any scenario in that it works out and then the Rockets somehow are a better team. I, I just don't, regardless of what Harden does. So, David, this, this is a train wreck to me, and, and, and it's coming. And, and some team is going to take that chance on Harden. There's a reason why Preston said what he did in our chat, because it's true. He's, he's a one-man wrecking ball in terms of scoring points, being able to build an offense around and basically build a winning team around, right? So he impacts positively a team. At least that's what we've seen. That's what we've got to go on. But I don't see how it happens for the Rockets this year. So. It's good for us, right? It's good for the Pelicans, I should say. So if somebody's got to drop off. It's probably going to be Houston for sure. All right, let's go to our questions, and we're going to be um, succinct with these because we all have to um, go on with our evenings. So I'm going to give one to you, to each of you as we go through one answer. Try to be concise. Um, I'm going to give this one to Fish right off the top. This is from Finn, and his question was, what are your expectations as far as where the Pelicans are going to rank offensive rating-wise and defensive rating-wise? I'm leaning towards middle of the pack on both, which is roughly where they were. David, you sound like you're five miles away yeah, from the microphone. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I, I think um, I, I, would, I would expect that I mean, they were roughly middle of the pack last year, both offense and defense, a little above league average offense, a little, well, significantly below defense, um, league average defensively. I think it's possible that they slip a little offensively um, just because it's, 
they're going to sacrifice getting out in transition. And so they're going to have to do more scoring in the half court. But I expect that they're going to make significant strides defensively. Um, I would be, if I had to put numbers on it, I would expect that the defense is going to rank somewhere between probably 11 and 14, and that the offense will be closer to between 13 and 18. All right, Kevin, I'm going to give you this one because this one's fun. I have a better one for you later, but I I couldn't think of anyone better to give this one to than you. From Travis Tate, um, is Oklahoma (laughs) City a Western Conference Finals favorite now that they have Frank Jackson? Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) You had to ask me that one. I laughed when I read that today. (laughs) The number of people, though, in Oklahoma City who have no idea who Frank Jackson is, is, is... in yes. itself hilarious. You know what else? They're not going to know who he is at the end of the season either. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of listeners now who are like, you guys hate Frank. Okay. Yeah, unlike um, Kenrich, Josh, and um, whoever else had gotten a trade, they actually signed Frank Jackson. So that surprised me. So they're not cutting him. They literally, Sam Presley went out of his way to guards. add him. They didn't have any other guards, so they gave all their other players away. They had to sign somebody. Had to, you got to field the team. At least somebody named Alexander is going to be getting the minutes he deserves over him. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, I have to take this one because this one is near and dear to me. So, AJ uh, Valen asked, do you think Steven Adams can get a three-point shot within the next two years, can develop one? So, I just want to bring this up, and I'm going to get in and out of this one quickly. The last five NBA champions, let's look at their centers and their three-point shooting. The Lakers, AD last year, um, attempted three and a half threes a game. He shot about 33%. He was fifth on the Lakers in attempts and ninth in percentage amongst any players on that team who made one or more. Howard and McGee combined for .2 threes made per game. Threes were not a big part of the front court. For the Raptors, Gasol and Ibaka combined to make 1.6 threes per game. For the Warriors in 2018, Zaza, Looney, McGee, Green, 1.13s combined from that front court. In 2017, the Cavaliers, Tristan Thompson, uh, I mean, excuse me, um, the Warriors in 2017, um, uh, Curry, Durant, Thompson made 9.43s combined. Draymond was the only front court player um, to make more than one, and he was at 1.1 shooting 31%. Then you get the, the Cavs in 2016. Yes, Kevin Love and Channing Frye made a bunch of threes for them. But Kevin Love was had more three-point attempts per game than LeBron and Kyrie Irving. So they were that was their designated job. They shot those two guys, Love and Frye, made, took 10 attempts a game. So our last five champions, you really are not seeing centers shooting a bunch of threes. You don't have to win with shooter, center shooting threes. You play to what the strengths of those players are. Kevin Love is somebody who could shoot threes. That's so you allowed him to do that. The rest of these teams, even the Warriors, when you see the Golden State Warriors and their front court is not shooting threes at all, it doesn't mean that Steven Adams has to be something he's not. If he has it in his repertoire, and it's the same thing I said about Derek Favors, the same thing I say about Zion Williamson. If you have it in your repertoire and you're open and you can take it, fine. But I think people are spending a lot of time looking at centers and how many threes they're shooting and it's not turning into postseason wins those are not the teams that are winning championships are the teams that have their centers shooting a ton of threes 
So that's my thought on that. If any of you guys want to chip in on that one, I, I, I am certainly fine with that. No, you Preach. answered that well. All right. Thank you. Um, Ollie, this one is for you. It's from Tib underscore TSR. Um, he sees some shortages on the roster at certain, certain positions that we've talked about as well. Do you see that there, do you think that it's likely that there will be trades made during the season to augment this roster? I do. And, I, and I'm going to continue with what I've been saying. I just don't think Eric Bledsoe is in the long-term plans. So unless the team gets off to an incredible start and there's a certain synergy that he develops with that starting lineup or with a couple of players that are, of course, long-term foundational pieces, then my thinking will change. But until that happens, I just feel like he's the odd man out. And potentially Lonzo Ball could be another one behind him um, in terms of being on the move because he's in a contract year and he's going to expect near the max. There's no doubt in my mind. And, and of course, if you look just, near the max, what's that? We have to be, we have to be realistic too. Someone out there this off season will offer him, if not the max, then near the Yeah. Max. You've got bad players out there all the time. The Kings, the Knicks, the Hornets, right? They'll, they'll swing for those fences. You're right. You're absolutely right. Whether it makes sense for them or not. So yeah, it's troublesome that Josh Hart's also going to be going into a contract year without an extension. It looks like so. Pelicans are going to have decisions. I mean, are you going to sign both of them to big money? If this team, say, barely squeaks in the playoffs, is it worth to spend that money on those two players? You know, these are all questions Griffin's going to have to answer, but there's also holes on this roster. We've talked about this before. I just want to see a big, long wing defender. And I know what Brandon Ingram said about two-way players, and it's great that there's potential that both B.I. and Zion are actually going to exhibit a lot more, um, get, enjoy a lot more results. Right on, on the defensive end. But the end of the day, they're still not going to be stopping the LeBrons, the Kawhis, or even chasing around Bogdanovich's, either one around screen. So I feel like you need to bring in that long wing defender still. And, you know, we don't know with the rest of the roster. Behind Adams, who can you rely on if Steven has to miss a couple of games, right? Hernan Gomez, Jackson Hayes, um, potentially Wayne and Gabriel, or, you know, I didn't want to get into the two-way contract. So there's a lot of holes for sure. And like I said, this is far from a complete um, roster. Longest tenure player, Zion Williamson, 17 months. So you know that this group isn't going to suddenly be championship caliber, um, consistent playoff performer yet. They're, they're still kind of in the evaluation process when it comes to like a couple of players I've just mentioned, Lonzo, you know, Bledsoe and, and a few others. So, yeah, no, there's going to be some activity, I think, for sure. All right, Kevin, I'm I'm give you this one to chew on since I gave you that that's other one. Um, this is from Brock underscore Lee underscore Rob. And he says that we're kind of he thinks that we're down on Jackson. I that think we already... lost Kevin, David. Oh, we did? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Go well, to fish with this one. Fish then. So says we as a group, we've been too hard on Jax and that we, we we basically have given up on him. And I'm I think we've always tried to paint it in the context of Look, this is what the roster is. You can't keep everybody. Somebody has to go, and he's the most likely of that young group, um, in our opinion, today. Um, but he says, why not give him the time so, and see if he can pair the fundamentals with the athleticism? Um, what are your thoughts there on Hayes and his legitimate timetable? And do you still have concerns based on what you've heard out of him so far? 
Um, I do have concerns um, after hearing him, his his media week comments. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, by all means, he should. I mean, he should have. There's there's plenty of minutes available, and he's going to have plenty of time to demonstrate this season um, if if he's a long term piece. Um, I would expect um, he's he's in line to get somewhere between, I don't know, 10 to 20 minutes a game, depending on how much they're going to play Zion at center. Um, I mean, there's, I, I would be surprised if you see Steven Adams playing more than 26 to 30 minutes a game. And so that leaves you with 22, somewhere between, you know, 18 to 22 minutes available at the center position. And all of those aren't going to be Zion at five minutes. So there's going to be time for Jackson Hayes to show um, that he's, he's deserving. Um, And I hope, I hope that he, he shows what, what I'm looking for. Um, the biggest thing for me would be one rebounding and two defense. Um, the The highlights, while they are incredibly impressive, that's not what's going to keep him on the floor. That's not what keeps him on the team and with the franchise beyond the next year or two. It's going to be if he can defend and if he can rebound. And hopefully in a situation with Stan Van Gundy and his coaching staff, and it's going to be very detail oriented. And this is how we play this pick and roll coverage, you know, with these kind of players. And this is how we play it against these opponents. I mean, the, the tools are there and we just need to see them applied. And I, I have every expectation that there will be sufficient time to evaluate him because the minutes are there. And if he isn't getting the minutes, if for whatever reason, Hernan Gomez is getting the minutes ahead of him and it that tells you, you know. and it's injury and it's not injury related, then you're, t- then, then the evaluation is occurring. It's just occurring in practice. And Stan Van Gundy and the rest of the staff have said that he hasn't earned the minutes. Um, so, but I, I expect that he, there, there are minutes available and he, and he will have every opportunity to earn them and to play and to demonstrate. But if he's not getting those minutes, it's not a matter of the franchise is giving up on him. It's the matter of he's not earning them. Uh, So Kevin, we close with you. Uh, This question comes from Carlos Slim, which sounds like a great pimp name, but I shout out to Carlos Slim. Um, his biggest concern is the wing rotation, and he also asks about Didi being part of the Pelicans' future plans. Uh, what are your concerns about the wing wing rotation for the Pels, and do you see them bringing Didi back after his Australian League season is over, or is he another guy who has to wait another year for us to see if, if he is a part of the Pelicans' future? Well, if he is brought back, that means that somebody has to be moved or cut. So. Right. Um, that, that plays a role in that. Um, and yes, I mean, I do that, that does concern me. The wing rotation does concern me and I dropped out. I'm sorry. So I missed a little bit of, uh, what you were going to ask me and then, uh, Fish's answer, but I caught the end of what Fish was saying. You were talking about Jackson Hayes and, Mm -hmm. and it also ties back into the question you asked Ollie. And I think you got to look at Jackson Hayes, if he's losing the battle, 
to Willie Hernan Gomez, that's a guy who still has enough shine that you could get something back and has a $5 million contract that you can move and then try to bring in, whether it's just moving him for a, a draft pick to bring in uh, Didi to, to fill in that uh, on the wing rotation, or if you want to try to either get a draft pick to move to another team to get a wing player that's on a smaller contract or trade with a team that has a wing guy that needs a young center, um, you know, then I think that's, that's a move that you could see very likely happening if Willie Hernan Gomez does beat him out for minutes just because there's other holes on this roster and his contract is significant enough that you could get a solid return back for him, a decent player, and he's still young enough and has those physical tools that he could be attractive to another team uh, that were willing to pay you something to, you know, then get something back. But yeah, I do think that there will be a move at some point in this season to get extra wing depth, whether that be a more of a bigger guy that's kind of more on the four side of a three, four hybrid or a guy that's just a straight up three, maybe three, two that can guard a couple of positions. Um, but those are the weakest areas outside of a veteran ball handler. Um, but I think with Bledsoe and Lonzo, and Nikhil that I think they'll be okay in that sense, especially when you have guys like Ingram and Zion, you know, other guys that could handle the ball as well. Um, I don't think it's as big of a need as getting just another guy that can stop somebody on the wing and, and hit an open shot. Yeah. And I also think this, when it comes to Hayes too, and I don't know what you guys, the read would be, but the Pelicans didn't go out and get a whole bunch of veteran bigs. They went out and got a bunch of young ones. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, I don't know a conclusion to come to, but it's certainly a statement. Yeah. Because if you're willing to go out and get young bigs and you have just drafted a young big in the first round, knowing good and well that certain players like Jackson Hayes, whether it's you're talking about a Jared Allen who was, again, further along than Jackson was in his development when he got to the NBA. DeAndre Jordan, who was also further along in his development than Jackson was when he got to the NBA. Um, It takes a couple years for those guys to turn into something, as we are just now getting to the point where we think of Jared Allen not as a future asset, but as a right-now asset. Mm -hmm. That, to me, says something when the Pelicans go out and find a bunch of young centers to compete with him for playing time. Yeah, I mean, because you didn't bring in vets who were short-term investments. You brought in young guys. Yeah, and just, you know, extending Adams, you know, says a lot. And then, uh, you know, going back to my answer, too, is, you know, you would hope that when and Gabriel can develop a consistent outside shot, then he could be that answer. You don't have to make moves. But I think that that is, the, you know, the most likely thing is to, to flip Jackson Hayes if he's not able to – grab those minutes that are there for him. All right. So we end on this because there was a lot of this today and I don't understand why people do this to us in particular, but you know, we mentioned that the Pelicans are making a statement by putting Ingram and Zion out front. These are the leaders of this team. And yet people take that as us slapping long round. And so I'm going to let each of you say, why tell me, Guys, why do we hate Lonzo so much? Ollie? I personally don't hate Lonzo. I'm a 
you know, I'm higher on him than most of you guys. But the reason what you're getting at, though, is because he's a young, incomplete player that still has plenty of faults, right? I mean, we, we saw the product last year that took the court. No confidence, making ridiculous mistakes, and settling for fadeaway threes. Like the worst shot in the book when you have no confidence. But he turned it around, I thought, splendidly. So I'm still very much on, go ahead and show me your stuff, young buck. I'll, I'll forgive and forget the bubble performance because we saw him go through every other player with every other player, right? They all dropped duds outside of Redick. But with, with, with Lonzo, there was improvement. And there was, I thought, vast improvement. So I like that Stan Van Gundy, his coach, is, is high on him. And sees the potential in him. So personally, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I know I don't hate him one bit. No, I mean, it's completely sarcastic because I don't think any of us hate it. I think we all no. are just trying to be as realistic as possible about right. his value. Um, Fish, I mean, just break that down quickly. You know, in your thoughts on him. Uh, a couple things. One. He's a great player. I wrote in the piece um, where I was discussing, you know, what position he's in, that he's a basketball savant. Um, he's made tremendous strides um, with his catch and shoot ability behind the arc. Um, he sees the floor unlike very many human beings ever um, at his age. Um, he's, a, he's a tremendous pa- passer, a tremendous passer with, with either hand. Um, He's 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 a great defender. He's a great defender off the ball. He's probably the best defender off the ball that the Pelicans have right now on the roster. Um, but I guess when I say that he's not the absolute crowned point guard of the future and the whole offense should run through Lonzo and only Lonzo, I am hating him, according to a small portion of the Twitter fan base. Of Lonzo Ball, um, so if that's the case, I guess I hate Lonzo Ball. Um, the The only question with Lonzo Ball is the kind of the same situation that we had with Drew Holiday coming into this season, which is he's in the last year of his contract. He is a restricted free agent. If you sign him to a really big number, you're really just capping your team out and saying that the the pillars of the franchise are going to be Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Lonzo Ball. And, and Steven Adams, based on what you're And Steven Adams at the big number that he's at. Um, so, yes, it is, there, there's definitely a question of, is, is that the right move for the Pelicans long-term? And if it's not, should the Pelicans consider moving off of him by the trade deadline or potentially have him walk in restricted free agency for nothing if he's looking for a different role? Um, and I don't think that that is hating him at all um, because I'm not I'm not discouraging him from doing that whatsoever. I mean, he should absolutely try to have the career that he wants to have. And if that means that he gets a big offer sheet from the Knicks and then he takes it and the Knicks, you know, want to, you know, center their team around him as the point guard, then by all means, per- pursue pursue your dreams. I mean, Come on, he's he's only 22 years old. Pursue your dreams. I'm not saying that, but I am saying with open with open eyes, the Pelicans need to see that as a potential outcome going into this season, and they need to make a determination of where they're going to be 
and they need to do that relatively quickly in terms of in the in the time arc of the Stan Van Gundy era of this of the, of this team there's not going to be a lot of there's not going to be a lot of evaluation time between now and the trade deadline for them to make that decision Kev you want to give your quick thoughts on Lonzo yeah, I mean, first off, I made the Zoe Limit Soldier shirt, so you know I'm a big fan. I mean, <laughs> I think that the the question just basically is, does this team want to overpay for Lonzo Ball? And I think the weird thing that fandom, like I don't, I don't ever try to criticize fandom. I understand fandom. I think it's fine. I don't think people should look down on on people who are fans. But you know, it becomes weird when you can't say a very realistic thing about a player's weaknesses um, while also praising the player. Everybody has holes. And then you look at this team, um, you have your two building blocks, right? You have Ingram locked up. He's already an all-star. You have Zion controlled for like six years. Um, So that's who you're building the team around. Lonzo, I've always said, is a very good player. He does some things that no one else can do on the court. He does a lot of things very well. He has holes in his game. I don't think he's a max player. I think he's a 17, 16 million dollar a year player. Now, Lonzo can probably demand a max contract in the market. So, are you willing to overpay for what he brings to your team? That's something that the Pelicans have to ask themselves because like Fish said, Lonzo has every right to go out there and he should go out there and try to get that money while he can because you never know what the future is and you should always take care of yourself, especially in a sport where, you know, you could be traded at any time on a whim that you don't have control over those sort of things. Um, So, you know, it's just a question of that. Are you comfortable overpaying Lonzo because – in my mind, he's a $17, $18 million player maximum. Do you want to pay him $27 million a year? Um, and I wouldn't be mad at the Pelicans for doing that because I do really like Lonzo, and I think that he's a very good player and he fits well with those other two cornerstones that you have. Um, but I understand the business side of it, um, and I understand his hit the business side for him as well. So it's not that I don't think that he's not, not necessarily part of the future, but I think it's something that they definitely have to question. And if an offer comes in that makes sense for them, they should make that move um, because of the uncertainty of, of the future with him. Yeah. I, look, like you say, you made the Zolimus soldier. Ali and I, before, before, you know, again, before Zion arrived, you know, it was, I said, I thought Lonzo and Zion would be best friends for life. Like this was something that they could, that they would instantly click with. And they did from day one every season last year. But yeah, this comes down. It's a three headed monster that you're dealing with. There's the on-court Lonzo. There's Lonzo's personal business side to this. And there's the Pelicans business side to this. And all three of those things to come together under this cap with what you are already paying. And you're talking about if you make a commitment to Lonzo, you're talking about a five-year commitment. And then Zion's going to get his extension. You know, and then, you, you like you said, paying Josh Hart, paying Steven Adams what you're paying him the next two years. 
and you still don't have a bench. You know what I'm saying? You have to add the bench to all of these guys. There's not, there's only so much money that can go, uh, go around. And in economics, it's basic opportunity costs. We've talked about sunken costs on this podcast. There's also opportunity costs. When you pay money to one thing, that means you are not paying for other things. And in the NBA, what you cannot afford to have is no depth. You, you must have depth. Um, so I think it's, that's the question for the Pelicans. Lonzo has to, to the Pelicans, to the Pelicans in particular, not to other teams. There are certainly other teams where he could go. But to the Pelicans, he has to prove that the opportunity cost of keeping him is worth not keeping, you know, is, is, more, is more valuable than not keeping him. And that has no indicator to me whether or not he's a good or bad basketball player. Those are two different questions. He's a great player. He's a very yes, good player. Absolutely. We, we have never on this program, I have never heard us on a single podcast, bail on Lonzo Ball, the basketball player. No, when and when he got poorly, benched, remember when he got benched by Alvin? Yes. For, for a week or so because he was playing terribly, he still wasn't right physically. We defended Alvin's decision, but we also said, please don't give up like most of Pell's Twitter did, right? There's a lot of even people that write and cover the team that were not fans of him and wanted to basically see him moved, right? They didn't see him as a long-term fixture, whether at point guard or shooting guard. So, no, you're absolutely right. People have got to understand that don't know us, <laughs> that that's exactly right. We have not thrown him off the side of the, you know, off the boat. <laughs> Listen to the pods, go to the website, and look at all the articles that have been written about Lonzo by the bird right, and see where we've tried him under the bus because it doesn't exist. Yeah, I it find it weird that we're the target of that because we seem like more, like, you know, uh, we're obviously a diverse group of people that don't, have group think but for the most part i think we kind of agree that you know from the top to the bottom of our roster that we think that lonzo is a very good basketball player and i see other guys out there who are the guys that are trashing him but for some reason we are the 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 target of the the vitriol like we're like this great um organization that's out to destroy him for some reason (laughs) i don't understand that that aspect of it right and i'm still trying to talk to lavar i can't be distant lazo if i'm gonna talk to lavar oh (sighs) but i just had to address that because we got another like we got a couple other those things that people just mentioned it today about why don't we talk about lazo why don't we talk about Lonzo? we're not distant lazo people we love lazo we just um, spent a whole podcast on Lonzo for crying out loud. We absolutely did. F- we Fish absolutely wrote an article. Yeah, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come on. Um, guys, I think we, we did a great job. There's going to be so much more to cover through this week as practice gets more intense. We are rapidly approaching the first preseason game as well. We're going to get into talking about the schedule. We're going to get into talking. To, there's just so much more to go on, and um, we will be here to do that for the fans and we are glad to do it. We love to do it. And we are excited that basketball is back. Um, we just hope it stays healthy as possible again um, without the bubble. Um, guys, any closing thoughts as we uh, wrap up another episode? No, All not right. really. We're, I've got an article based on today. If you, if you can't listen to the whole pod, I've got – it's going to be a lot of – it's going to be written down tomorrow in an article where I transcribe a lot of the quotes the, from today. But this is at the end, Ollie. 
too late. <laughs> got to this point. Oh you yeah, you're right. If you don't have See, I am tired. I am literally falling asleep here for the last half hour. My bad. If you don't have time to listen to the pod we just did at the end, <laughs> I you can go read right. an article. I'm talking to you okay. guys like I'm talking in the chat. Jesus, let me go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that seems yeah, like an appropriate. Yeah, there are going to be NBA basketball games on your television by the end of this week. Preseason yeah. game. Well, not That's- if we don't. Not if Fox Sports doesn't uh, sort out their problems with YouTube TV and Hulu. <laughs> it won't be. <laughs> well, it'll be something on ESPN to watch. Yeah, yeah. It'll definitely be something on ESPN or TNT coming up. It won't, may not be the Pelicans, but it'll be something coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that seems like a good place to end our conversation for tonight, guys. Thank you. Um, fantastic, as always. So for Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, Ali Cosell, and myself, David Grubb, Thank you for listening. And until the next time, in the words of Preston Ellis, let's go. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today